Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I'm honored to welcome to Beeson and to this podcast, Dr. John Upton. Welcome, John, to this uh, talk together. Well, thank you, Timothy. It's good to be here at Beeson. It's my first time. I've heard so much about it and know of it so much from good friends and its reputation. It's a true joy to be here, particularly on a day of graduation. Thank you. You've come to be our graduation speaker, and we're honored to have you do that. Uh, This happens twice a year for us as we send out students into the field. They've completed their work here and pray that God will bless them. And we do we do something unusual. You'll see it uh, today. Uh, we have the commencement service, the actual awarding of the degrees, and then we have a service of consecration that is a part of that where every faculty member prays for every graduating student as a tradition here, and it's very meaningful to the students. I look forward to being a part of that. That yeah. will be very special. Now, John Upton is the president of the Baptist World Alliance. And he also is the executive director of the Baptist General Association of Virginia and of the Virginia Baptist Mission Board. You're a busy fellow, John. <laughs> the Lord doesn't give much opportunity for uh, for boredom, that's for sure. Now, uh, most all of our listeners will know who what a Baptist is, or at least they'll have an impression, right or wrong. Uh, why don't you say a word about what a Baptist is, and then uh, tell us about the Baptist World Alliance. Uh, I think probably the distinctiveness about Baptists would be that um, we're folk with a strong mission heart uh, that has defined us from uh, our very beginning with a sense of uh, of the need to get the gospel around the world, and, and missions is a big part of who we are. Uh, another word that I would probably use that would define Baptists would be the word freedom in terms of freedom of conscience, freedom uh, of being priesthood of the believer, that we each are answerable to God for the call in our life. We're each re- re- responsible for our own spiritual and development mm-hmm. uh, and to read God's word and to interpret that word in community, not by ourselves, but we do that within community and we have historical context mm-hmm. for that as well. So Baptists are people of tradition, they're people of mission, they're people of freedom, uh, and they're people that take God's word seriously. And religious freedom especially has been a hallmark of Baptist Absolutely. history and our heritage. And, and the separation of church and state are, are big issues to us. And in the role that I have as Baptist World Alliance, I've been quite surprised and pleasantly surprised how often I'm called upon out of this Baptist tradition to speak to governmental leaders around the world on the issue of religious freedom. Not just for Baptists, but on behalf of everybody that Mm -hmm. they can uh, worship or not worship according to their own conscience. But we have opportunity to speak to this whole issue with uh, governmental leaders, and I've been quite amazed as I enter countries how uh, accessible governmental leaders have been for those conversations. Now, the Baptist World Alliance was begun, I think, in 1905. Correct. And so we've been at this for a little over a century. Uh, tell us about the Baptist World Alliance and the kind of Baptists that are a part of it and uh, what we try to do, some of uh, it. The Baptist World Alliance is a fellowship of Baptists uh, literally around the world. We're in a, about 140 different countries. There's about 250 different Baptist unions and conventions These are clusters of associating churches that make up these unions and conventions. Uh, About 250 of those make up the family of the Baptist World Alliance. Uh, We're 
probably a little over 41 million baptized believers. And if you were to put all of us Baptists together, it would be about over 105 million Baptists in the mm-hmm. world. Yeah, that's a good point you're making because when a lot of denominations give their statistics, of course they include everybody, babies and so forth. And we usually don't. Uh, members are those who have been baptized right. as believers in Christ and committed themselves to the life of the local community of faith. Uh, so I'm glad you made that distinction. If you include everybody, it's a, m- a much larger number. Right. So, but of course, numbers isn't everything, and uh, we we don't try to overemphasize that. It's it's a tremendous movement in some places in the world. It's really thriving and growing. In other places, it's under great duress and even persecution. Right. So one of the things I think the Baptist World Alliance does is try to bring support and. Um, the the will of God's people in in sustenance and stand solidarity with those particularly uh, who are in uh, distress. It's amazing to me the encouragement that when the Baptist family shows up and and the role that I represent as president, which is by the way a five year role mm-hmm. uh, from 2010 to 2015, it, it has a mercy clause to that role because you only get one term. Yeah, otherwise it would kill you <laughs> if you had two terms. But one of the one of the real joys for me is being able to come in and bring a word of encouragement. And let me give you a circumstance uh, that's been very meaningful to me. I had opportunity to be in Thailand, and uh, we had opportunity to go and visit with the Karen, who are in a refugee camp in Thailand. These are refugees who have been in this camp since 1949, since World War II. They can't return back to Myanmar now or what they refer to still as Burma. Oh, yeah. Thailand doesn't welcome them in. Matter of fact, they have to go through about nine different checkpoints to be able to get into the camp uh, just to make sure nobody was getting out of that camp. When I arrived at the camp, it was no more than maybe a two-mile radius yeah. uh, with 55,000 people living in that camp. Uh, their daily food is nothing more than rice with fish paste for protein, all provided by NGOs. Uh, they don't have space to grow gardens, and they're not allowed to go out and farm or any of that kind of thing. So they're pretty much trapped. Mm. So I met with the Baptist group there. Uh, what surprised me was they have started 12 churches mm. in this mm. in the Mela camp. And I met with one church on a Sunday morning. Over a 1,000 Karen showed up for the worship service. My, my. Uh, and there you had multiple choirs. You had an orchestra. A choir that I found particularly moving was a choir when they stood and sang. Many of them were missing arms or legs or blind. Uh, these were folk who they the camp members had to go back into Burma and Myanmar, find these people, bring them to the mm. camp. These were all landmine victims. And this was a landmine choir. Mm. And there's nothing that will stir your soul more than to hear a landmine choir sing the hallelujah <laughs> to the Lord Jesus. Wow. And yeah. you just sit there and go, my, my. But while we were worshiping, I was sitting up on the platform. I noticed in the back of the sanctuary water coming into the sanctuary. Mm. And I just started watching it, and I leaned over to the pastor, and I said, is that the river coming into the church? He said, yeah, it does that periodically. It's monsoon season. And by the time I stood up to preach, the sanctuary was knee-deep in water. My. The only time people moved was to chase a flip-flop or something that was floating. <laughs> Ushers splashed their way up to the front to bring the offering. Uh, it was, I think, about rainy Sundays in the U.S. and how that affects our attendance. A flood in a church knee-deep of water didn't stop anyone. 
I know. I've heard of Deep Water Baptist, but that's, <laughs> that's another twist on it altogether. You recently were in Brazil and had a experience there. I wish you would tell our listeners about that. Uh, I tell you, there are places in the world where God's Spirit is, is, is moving. As a matter of fact, I'd like to say something about that in just a few moments, of what some things I've noticed yeah. of where the Spirit's moving and, and where the church is booming and where the church is in decline, and some things I'm noticing in this role that these places have in common. But in Brazil, the Spirit is truly moving, and there's an excitement going on. Uh, there in the um, in that area, and while there's a area around Sao Paulo, a Fravala, that is uh, called Crackland, with I don't know how many thousands, tens of thousands of residents in Crackland. It's a very violent area, drug ridden. Uh, you've got the police who have created a corridor around Crackland because uh, no one goes that goes in comes out. So they don't let folk in and they don't go in. They just contain it and let it do its own violence upon itself. The Baptists there weren't happy with that. And they they felt called to go into Crackland. And their call was to change Crackland into Christland. Oh, that's great. And while at the convention, they had 48 they baptized in the convention pool from Crackland. There was a choir, I estimate, over a 100 uh, former crack users from Crackland singing. Tremendous. And in well, two years, they have baptized a 1,000. Wow. Unbelievable. You know, Brazil is very close to our heart at this school because one of our really fine graduates, Dr. Uh, David Bowman Riker, is a graduate of our school. He's from Brazil. His father worked with the Gideon Ministry, distributing Bibles all over South America. But he's now the president of a Baptist seminary in the very northern part of Brazil. So we hear from him from time to time about the wonderful things uh, God is doing in that part of Brazil as well. I'll tell you what amazed me there, and I participated in the commissioning. I think it was 18 who were being commissioned by Brazilian Baptists to be missionaries to North America. Uh, That was quite an amazing experience to sit there and commission missionaries to come to my home. Two of them are coming to the area where I live to, uh, to share the gospel, and we need them. Well, say a little bit about your perception of how the Spirit is working in some places and the growth and the, the decline, because I'm often asked, what's the future of Christianity? And it's, it's, there's not one answer that fits every region or every place, because some places, obviously, Christianity is booming, growing. It's blessed by the uh, Spirit in remarkable ways. Africa is such a place, I think. Absolutely. And then there are other places, and maybe some of this is closer to home, where you know we see more ominous signs. But to talk about your perception of that. Well, what I've noticed is I've traveled, and you can almost sense it not long after you're off the airplane and you're with folk. In uh, areas where I've gone, in Africa and South America and in, in other Asia, certain areas mm-hmm. in Asia that I go, in China in particular, uh, as I travel, what I've noticed is the Spirit really can move freely if there's a certain atmosphere. And the atmosphere that I've seen where the church is growing, there's really two common denominators, and it's almost too simple to even say, but it's true. The first one is there's an atmosphere of blessing. When I'm in South America, if I'm down in, if I'm meeting with Ubla, which is the, the leadership of Baptists in South America and, and these regions, they're, they're calling me and saying, not only telling me what they're doing, they can't wait for me to hear what another brother and sister are doing somewhere else. And they can't wait for me to hear what's going over here and what's going on over there. There's such camaraderie and trust and openness and blessing. It's just an exciting atmosphere. And 
And you couple that with the second thing. There's blessing, and number two, there's a sense of anticipation. God is going to do something. There's a level of expectation that's heightened, and it just doesn't dawn on them that God's not going to do something incredible. And you put blessing and anticipation together, and you've got fertile ground for God's Spirit to do a mighty thing. Yeah. And then I come back to the U.S., which is an area I would say is pretty much in decline, or Europe, parts of Europe, and there's parts of the U.S. that would be uh, growing as well. But parts in the U.S. that really concern me, there's two things in common. When I get off the plane and I come home, I'm not, I don't enter an atmosphere of blessing anymore. I enter an atmosphere of suspicion, where everyone is suspicious of each other, whether doctrinally, theologically. If even a church is successful, one of the questions that's asked is, well, what gimmick have they come up with? There's just a high level of suspicion. You couple that, not with anticipation, but you couple that with a sense of being a shadow of what we used to be. Looking at the future in a rearview mirror, as they say. When you enter that environment of suspicion and a sort of a defeated sense that we just are not the country we used to be, we're not the church we used to be, we're not the people we used to be, it's really hard for the church to flourish and for leadership to be inspired in that kind of environment. Sort of an atmosphere of jadedness, it seems to be uh, what you're describing, and it's certainly uh, observable. So how do you come, how do we change that is my question. How do we become people of blessing again? Yeah. How do we become people of anticipation again? We were there not long ago. What I witnessed in Brazil, I used to witness here. How do we get back to being that kind of people again? That That's the question that I struggle with my own heart and soul. Well, surely part of the answer has to be uh, something that reaches down to the core of our spirituality. I mean, uh, your your description of the anticipation and waiting and looking up with hope uh, reminds me so much of William Carey. I was asked to write a biography of him some years ago, and of course the thing we remember Carey, he was not a great writer. He wrote the, the famous Inquiry. Uh, he didn't write a lot of books, but he he preached this terrific sermon, which was really the beginning of the modern missionary movement, among certainly among Baptists and many evangelical Christians. And his famous watchword that we always quote is, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And I, it's always struck me that the order of those two is really important. The expectation precedes the attempt. And it seems to me, what, how do we move from here to, to a place of blessing has to, seems to me, kind of be rooted in that vision of seeking the face of God. Uh, it involves, you know, repentance. It involves a lot of things in our own spiritual life and in our life as a church, as a community. Well, we, we need to rediscover what it means to be the family of God again. Mm, yeah. That great. there's not just multiple churches. There's really only one church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, you know, uh, we, we've been talking a lot about Baptists because you're, you and I are both Baptists, uh-huh. and uh, we thank God for that tremendous uh, heritage we've received. But Beeson Divinity School is not a Baptist seminary, per se. We are an evangelical, interdenominational school. We have about 30 denominations represented in the student body and on the faculty, lots of different denominations and traditions in which we try to respect deeply whatever tradition, as long as it's within the bounds of the historic Christian Orthodox faith, and at the same time, 
try to focus and major on those things that bring us together. Our unity is in Jesus Christ. I wonder if you'd just say a word about Christian unity beyond the denominational boundaries, uh, and particularly how the Baptist World Alliance can be a, a partner with other believers in advancing the cause of Christian unity. Uh, a couple things I would say to that. One, as, as I was mentioning just a moment ago, I do believe there's only one church. It's the Church of Jesus Christ, and we are all an expression of that one church. And the more we behave like the one church, I think that's Jesus' prayer is that we'll be one just as he and the Father are one in order that the world might believe. I think it will help our witness the more we, we work together. I'm very encouraged right now. There's lots of signs of good dialogue. The Baptist World Alliance in particular is having dialogue now with the Pentecostal community. You have been been active in that dialogue. Uh, The Baptist World Alliance is also establishing a conversation with the the different Orthodox traditions, Mm -hmm. particularly in Europe. Matter of fact, I just came back from Russia. I had met with the Euro-Asian Baptist Federation and with the the Russian Baptist Union, as well as um, many of the Russian leaders at the uh, former Soviet Union uh, areas where we have Baptist churches, we were able to have a meeting with the patriarch of the mm. Russian Orthodox Church, mm. which was a very significant meeting. Yeah. Matter of fact, we yeah. weren't quite sure how that would go, but when you're in 11 time zones and you have <laughs> brothers and sisters of evangelical um, community all in those 11 time zones trying to live in, in community with the Orthodox Church, sometimes that can get a bit dicey, particularly if one doesn't know the other And in certain regions, there could be persecution, and certainly uh, there could be oppression of different kinds. So this meeting was very critical, and and we met with the Orthodox uh, patriarch, uh, Kirill, who turns out to be a fabulous uh, gentleman and patriarch, and part of my interest was just his personal hobby as he's a professional. He's at a professional level of snow skiing, Uh downhill skiing. So I found that to be not something you would think of a patriarch. And so as we started the conversation, he came in with four pages of questions and notes. And by the time we left, we found we had much more uh, to share in common. And he stated that in a press release that went across all those 11 time zones. So we're seeing much more dialogue and community building uh, of God's family around the world. You know, a lot of folks are suspicious, as you used that word you mentioned earlier, of any kind of, you might say, ecumenical effort or movement that beyond, beyond one's own denomination. I think the fear is that you'll sacrifice, you'll lose your faith, you'll compromise your convictions. But in my experience, I think uh, it's really people who have deep convictions out of their own faith tradition that are able to express those in openness and candor with others who have differing convictions at some points but also find a common base of faith in Jesus Christ. And it's only as we're true to our own heritage that we're able to to find that common base. It's not a matter of compromising, giving up, uh, you know, the least common denominator. That's not the right approach. It's what I call an ecumenism of conviction, not an ecumenism of accommodation. For that dialogue to be constructive, you've got to know who you are with clarity. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the conversation really has nowhere to go. Yeah. So I found myself strengthened in my tradition in dialogue with others, not so much as to what I, I believe that they don't, but I'm able to articulate what, what I believe and with my own nuance of that understanding of the gospel where they may have a different nuance. But mine is enriched by what I learn in that dialogue. And I walk away stronger in my convictions, not having felt like I've compromised in any way. 
Now, we're talking about Christian unity and working with uh, Orthodox. I've been involved with Roman Catholic, Baptist uh, Dialogue, Pentecostals, uh, many other groups uh, that we've uh, had these dialogues with. But, of course, the whole question of Baptist unity. <laughs> a Baptist, uh, you know, we, we are a vociferous people. We, we kind of go off in different directions and sometimes not in the most Christ-like way. A few years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention, with which I'm affiliated, and the Baptist World Alliance, with which I'm also affiliated, kind of parted ways. And I wonder if you'd say a word about that. I know you've, you've had some recent dialogue with Southern Baptist leaders, BWA leaders, to keep a conversation going in the midst of uh, some differences that still remain. Could you say a word about that? Sure. And let me say, too, that I'm a, that I'm a executive director of Virginia Baptist, which is also part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So we, we tell the, um, the folk that though the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, may have pulled out of um, Baptist World Alliance, Southern Baptists, not all Southern Baptists have it, as evidenced by both you and I. Yeah. Uh, so Southern Baptists are still a part of the Baptist World Alliance. And we had a meeting in December. It was the General Secretary, Neville Kellum. And by the way, I do want to bring greetings uh, from him to you because Neville's a dear friend of both of ours. Yes. and. He would love being here with us in this conversation. Uh, we also had uh, two others that joined Neville and I in dialoguing with the leadership of the SBC we met in Nashville. A very cordial conversation, I might add. It was uh, for, We were warmly received. The conversation was trying to recover some of, the, of what happened in 2004 when the SBC pulled out because only one in the room was uh, in office at the time when that occurred. All the rest of us were not in office, and that's not a part of our history. Right. So we had only had one who was even there, and, and Dr. Patterson gave the history of what, what occurred uh, you know, from his perspective at that time. But we left that meeting, I thought, affirming each other. Uh, we didn't talk about membership and the SBC rejoining. We're not ready for that dialogue. As I said, too much has changed since 2004. We need to have a period of getting to know each other, and we made a commitment at that meeting to do that. That's and there are yeah. cases around the world where we need to be working together on behalf of brothers and sisters uh, in the world, and we agreed that we'd be doing uh, working together and partnering in the future. So I felt very good about that meeting. Thank you for taking uh, the initiative and leadership in uh, helping that happen. I think that's so important that we not just slam the door shut and say, well, that's uh, th- those people are Baptists, but they're not our kind of Baptists. We don't have, want to have anything to do with them. And sometimes the attitude you can find on all sides. It's not right, just one right. or the other. So I think what you're doing there is is really something to be commended. Well, we want to make sure the relationship's intentional, yeah. it's purposeful, and there's a sense of call to the community on both sides. Now, uh, we're almost out of time, but, uh, you know, I didn't actually get a chance to, at the beginning, we just jumped right into this wonderful conversation <laughs> that I've enjoyed so much, but uh, say a little bit about yourself, your family. I know you have a wife, Deborah. She has a ministry. Say, say a little bit about that. And you were also a missionary, I believe, in Taiwan, so that's a part of your own background. Right. Um, God called us to the mission field, and um, I think this experience with the Baptist World Alliance is a part of that calling. You just never know how God's going to lead you in the, in the course of, that he calls you. So it's been exciting. But Deb and I, uh, she's also she's associate pastor at our church. She's an associate pastor in charge of discipleship for our church. What that means is uh, she works from children to senior adults. Our church is a bit different in that we're a multi-site church. Our main campus, 
We probably have uh, about 1,500, 1,800 who worship there on Sunday, but we have four other campuses of all, that we call multi-sites. We're one church in many locations mm. uh, around our city, and we probably run close to 2,500 right now. And you live in, in Richmond, those, in Virginia. Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And so Deb's responsibility for all these sites is to coordinate the discipleship training from Sunday school to small groups to all the ways and given today's challenge of families being so busy um, time is the most precious commodity so how do you disciple people with less and less available time to be with them so it's quite a challenge and so uh, we talk about that a great deal it helps me in my role to hear it from a local church perspective sure. yeah. and she's uh, quite free with that with those insights and I, and I treasure them. We were also missionaries in Taiwan. We were church planters, and uh, we moved to an area that had been uh, settled for 3,000 years but had no Christian church, a little fishing village called Fugang. Mm. And, uh, mm. and we planted our lives there for, for several years and worked with some local Christians when we were able to establish a church in that area. Learning Mandarin was a challenge. I think I could be a brain surgeon for the effort that I put into <laughs> to learning Mandarin. My wife is a gifted uh, linguist, so that was very helpful to have someone uh, I was married to who could pick up the language quite well. As a matter of fact, she won a national contest, Wow! which was uh, a bit embarrassing because people all ask why I wasn't in the contest. <laughs> <laughs> and, she was uh, better than you. you absolutely. <laughs> and I was proud of it because I'll tell you, the Lord used that to bring a lot of people to the church to see who this foreigner was that that had done so well in learning the language. So we had just tons of people checking the church out and coming by and visiting, and we were able to have a, a great launch. But that's, I tell you, what the Lord will use to get his work done you can't write a book on it. Yeah, yeah. You just put your life out there, and the Lord just directs and guides, and it's just a matter of trust. That's a wonderful word on which to conclude. My guest today has been Dr. John Upton. He is the current president of the Baptist World Alliance and also the executive director of the Baptist General Association of Virginia. Thank you, John, for being here and for this wonderful conversation. Well, Timothy, thank you. It's been a joy. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.